up next on Walking by Faith. He said that the church would be victorious, that hell could not stand against the church. And don't think of a building. A building is not the church. You are the church. You're the church. And Jesus is coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's coming back for a victorious church. The Bible says that he always leads us in triumph in Christ. Hello, I want to welcome you to Walking by Faith and thanks for being with us today. I am excited. We're talking about how to discover and live your God-given dream. Now, God told the children of Israel, I've got a promised land for you. It flows with milk and honey. And you say, what does that mean? It means that it's a place of victory and a place of abundance. But not just for the children of Israel does God have a promised land. He has a promised land for you. He has a destiny. He has a purpose. In Ephesians 2 and 10, he says he's prepared paths ahead of time for us to walk in, that he has made ready good works for us to do. We are not supposed to go through life without purpose, aimlessly, just getting up, going to work, going to school, coming home, watching some television, going to bed. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And we want to help you discover and flow in that purpose today. Now, I'd like you right now to join me right as I begin this message. Welcome. So glad that you're here today. We're going to be talking about discovering and living your God-given dream. And I want to start today in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. It's one of the four accounts of Jesus' life in ministry. And I want to kind of go through several verses. I'll probably read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little. But it begins and it says, and they, that's Jesus and his disciples, they come to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias. And it's really, it's a freshwater, large, deep lake. And it says, to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, the Gadarenes, they, they are descendants of the tribe of Gad. Now, when the children of Israel came to the promised land, they're coming from Egypt, there's 12 tribes. Jacob had 12 sons, and they, they literally, they lived inside of their tribe, married inside of their tribe. Now, Gad is one of the 12 tribes. And as they're coming to the edge of the promised land, they're not there yet. There's several kingdoms that oppose them, and they conquer those kingdoms. And what happens is the tribe of Gad Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh, they look around and, and they, they say, you know what? This is really nice. And we don't know what it's going to be like in the promised land. And I mean, God said it's going to be good, but who knows? But we look here and this is pretty nice right here. And so they come to Moses and they said, hey, would it be all right if we just stay here? Instead of going to the promised land, we're just going to camp right here because there's a, there's a lot of grass and we've got a lot of sheep and goats and cows and this is just like a great place and we just think we'd like to stay in this place. Well, ultimately they got permission. Moses, what you're going to have to do is most of your men are going to have to come across into the promised land and help fight, but we will let you stay. Right? And this kind of reminds me a little bit of the compromising Christian, the one who's willing to settle for less than God's best, who looks around and says, you know, things are just good enough. I can see this, 
Why should I go after something that I don't know for sure I'm going to get? I don't know for sure what it's going to be like. I don't need the best. I don't need God's plan and purpose, my destiny. This is good enough. And so that was the mentality that these Gadites had. Right? And so the Ark of the Covenant is going to leave where they are and pass over into the promised land. Now remember the Ark, it literally represented and more than represented it was God said right there on that ark above the mercy seat the top and the angels wings that are above it he said I will meet with you right there the ark was God's tangible presence it was the throne zone it was the area where God's presence was right and God resided there and and the the presence of God was going to leave and was going over into the promised land but they're content to just stay you know, they're, they're like, like we're, we're saved, but they're camping in compromise, right? They, they aren't following the presence of God. They're willing to settle for less. They're trusting their own understanding, their own wisdom, and don't realize what's going to happen is they get farther and farther from the presence of God. It's kind of like somebody who's avoiding intimacy with God. It's the Christian who seldom reads their Bible, shows up at church sporadically, prays very little, probably doesn't fast at all, and really avoiding intimacy with God, that time with God, that personal time. It's in that personal time with God that God works on our character, on our appetites, on our nature, you know, where we go deeper into the things of God. You know, without it, your relationship just stays shallow, right? And Jesus includes those Gadites, in his itinerary. He's going to reach out for them. And, in, in, and what we're going to find out is this group has gotten far from God. Now, these are Jews, and you may not know a lot about Jewish people, all right? But let me just tell you something. Jews don't like pigs, all right? They're just like pigs are dirty, dirty. In fact, in the law, God had said you can't eat a pig. You can't even touch a pig, all right? But now the Gadites, their main industry is pigs, Right? They're growing, they're, they're raising pigs. All right? Literally, they have forgotten how God told them to live. So verse 2. And when he, Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, a demon, who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. How many realize the devil, Satan, demonic power, it's real. It's real. And always, night and day, he was crying in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, he worshipped him. He cried out with a loud voice and said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, don't torment me. For he said to him, the unclean spirit, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What's your name? And he answered and said, My name is Legion, because we are many. Now, a legion was over 6,000 soldiers, Roman soldiers. And so the man is that basically this man has thousands of demons that are inside him. And I think this is a very, very extreme case, but I think it represents the condition that we find the Gadites in, the Gadarenes in, right? When a person, when a family, a group, a nation pulls away from God, the result 
is more and more demonic activity. Notice this guy, he's living among the tombs. He's obsessed with death. He's, uh, he's obsessed with, with things that have to do with death. You know, the, the devil's ultimate goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill. That's his ultimate goal. And of course, we've got programs today like celebrity ghost stories, The Walking Dead. We've got all sorts of stuff about vampires and about zombies. But when you compromise, right, you live living a godless life, you're doing wrong, you let perverse things in your, in your life, right, ultimately what's going to happen is the devil is going to begin to show up in a stronger and a stronger way. You know, I heard a story about an old man who found a snake in the road that had been hurt. And he takes the snake home, and he takes care of the snake. And then one day, the snake bites him. And it's a venomous snake, and the man is dying. And he said, I took such good care of you. Why did you bite me? And the snake answered. You know, he sneered, and he said, silly man. You knew I was a snake when you took me in. Don't harbor the wrong thing in your heart. You might think that it's harmless, but I'm just telling you, you get pegs in your parlor, and it's going to get dirty. It's going to get demonic, right? This man had a violent spirit, rage, suicidal, homicidal, murderous spirit, right? And when you look at our country today, we've got teenage gangs shooting each other. We've got spousal beatings, human trafficking, pedophilia. We've got shooting rampages in our schools and in our theaters. We've got bombings. We've got a spirit of violence and murder. You know what that's a sign of? It's a, a sign of demonic activity, right? And, and demons, they're real. But when that man saw Jesus from afar, the, the gospel of Mark brings out that, that, that he ran and he fell at Jesus' feet and he worshiped him. Every demon was saying, go the other way. But that man ran and fell at, somehow he knew if I can get to Jesus, there is help. And, and you may have been bound by something for decades. But let me just tell you this. You get to Jesus, there is help. There is deliverance in Jesus' name. Just like this man is radically changed, you can be radically changed. right? And again, they're real. Demons are real. I, I read this week that more people in America believe in angels than are atheists. And I'm glad that people believe in angels. But I want you to know you need to believe that there's a devil, that there's demons, and there's a hell, and they're real, right? I don't know if you've ever had anything, anything like this, but, but that those demons, they, they saw Jesus. They wanted to go in the other direction. They were nervous, all right? But that man ran to Jesus. Uh, have you ever walked in a place, maybe like walked in a store, and it's all of a sudden, for absolutely no reason, the person standing there just goes, oh, blankety, blankety, blank, blank, blank. And you're like, what is going on? Let me just say, demons get nervous when they get around somebody full of the Holy Spirit. It just makes the devil nervous, all right? Now, verse 10, also, he beseeched him earnestly that he wouldn't send him out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out. They entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So the demons go into the, the pigs, the swine. And these pigs, they run off a cliff. And by the way, when you go to Israel, 
and you go on the Sea of Galilee, this is one of the places you absolutely know where this took place because there's only one place where there's a cliff that falls right into the sea. Right? But, but notice what they did. They immediately committed suicide. And do you know what the devil's ultimate goal is? It's steal, kill, and destroy. As soon as they had a being, a body with no resistance, they went and they committed suicide. Then those who fed the swine, they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got on the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. So Jesus delivers the man. And when he is delivered, the Bible tells us that he's sitting, he's clothed, and in his right mind. Now, he had been naked. Hey, by the way, when, when, when people run around and not, don't have enough clothes on, that's a sign the devil is at work right there. All right? Now, the Gadarenes, these Gadites, they come and they're upset. They're upset because they lost their pigs. Right? And they said, they said, Jesus, we want you to leave. And they're making a choice on pigs over Jesus. But listen, you can't have Jesus and your pigs. You can't have both. And, and those pigs, they represent, they can represent bad things. They can represent anger and unforgiveness and sleeping around and addiction and greed and lust and rebellion and any idol in our life. By the way, any, an idol is just anything that becomes more important to you than your relationship to God. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. It can be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. But what God did, God created us to love people and to use things. But what happens a lot of times is we use people and we love things. We get it backwards. And that's what's happened here to the Gadarenes. They're not excited that somebody has been delivered, that somebody who literally was demon-possessed and out of their mind is now made whole and right and sitting at Jesus' feet and learning. They're not excited about the person. They're, they're, they're consumed with the fact that they have lost their pigs. And some of us, we have things in our life that are more important to us than our relationship with God and our relationship with people. And anytime we've got that, we become like these Gadarenes, right? We, we have become lukewarm. We, we may know some things, but we're not living them. And, and we're doing the opposite of what God has told us to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and love people. And we're using people, right, instead of loving people, and we're loving things. And again, it can be good things, it can be bad things, right? Now, Jesus wants you to take your pigs, whatever they are, and give them up to him. Because to fulfill the dream, the destiny that God has for you, he needs to be number one in your life. And you and I cannot let anything else become number one. You give it up to Jesus. And Jesus, he will cancel the devil's assignment on your family, on your life, your marriage, your finances. You know, that devil comes to steal your peace and your joy. Now, I want to kind of switch gears. I want to go back to the Old Testament 
and talk about how we get to that right place. How do we get to the place where we're in that right relationship with God and that out of that flows the victory that God wants us to have? Out of it, we can walk in the dream, in the destiny that God has for us. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha the prophet is at home. He's in bed. He's about to die. In fact, he never did. This, 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 is, this is the time he is going to heaven. And the king, Joash, he comes to see the prophet. He comes and sees him at his house, in his bedroom. And he's, he's sad. And he says, you know, you're going, to be, you're going to be dying. And he knew he was going to die. Everybody knew he was going to die. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And he said, the prophet said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And then Elisha, the prophet, put his hand on the king's hand. And that, that was symbolizing the anointing of God and what he was doing. And the king knew that. He said, open the east window. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Apec until you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck it five or six times. So that you would have struck Syria until you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now, here's what's happening. You, you know this, but I'm going to remind you of something. Victories are not won on the battlefield. Right? Victories are won behind the scenes. I know right now, uh, mixed martial arts sports or cage fighting, very, very popular. You know, and you can watch a match and you can see the outcome. But the truth is, the victory was not won in the cage. The victory was won weeks or months before in training, discipline, every day, every day. It was, it was won when nobody was watching. It, it was won in a private way. But then you see what happened in a public place. So the prophet is literally in his bedchamber and the king comes to see him. How many remember Jesus said to go to the secret place, right? To close your door and to pray in the secret place. So King Joash, Joash he is literally in the prophet's bedchamber. And something is taking place there. And what takes place there is going to produce a victory on the battlefield. Now, he has the weapons of a bow and arrow. You and I, our weapons are not bow and, bows and arrows, but our weapons are prayer. Our weapons are confession of the word of God. But the prayer in the private place, the confession in the private place, all right, will reflect ultimately in public success or public failure. What takes place in the private of your life is going to determine the public success or the public failure. Public manifests the private. You can tell what happened in private, but what we see in public, right? The battle is not won on the battlefield. It's really won in the secret place when no one's watching, when it's just you and God, right? Now, you can fake it in public for a while and get away with it, but ultimately, what takes place in the private, in the secret place, shows up in public. So the prophet said, take your bow and arrow, 
and shoot out the window. And he said, it's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. The prophet's hands on the king's hands. He shoots out the window. And then he says, take those arrows. Take your weapons. And again, for you and I, our weapons are the word of God, their prayer, their confession, their praise and worship. And then he said, take the arrows and strike the ground. And he only struck three times. The prophet's mad. Because what's happening in the bedchamber is going to show up on the battlefield. He only struck three times. He said, now you should have struck five or six times so that you could have had complete and total victory. You would have destroyed the Syrian army. But now you're only going to have a partial victory because you didn't see it through in the secret place. Our weapons are not physical, but our weapons are spiritual. And let me just remind you that the words of your mouth, the word that you confess with your mouth, when you speak in agreement with God, that is one of the premier weapons that God has given to us. In the book of Revelation, it says that out of Jesus' mouth comes a two-edged sword, and he destroys his enemies with that. I remember listening years ago, Rick Renner, Greek scholar. Here's what he said. He said that two-edged sword is this. He said, the first edge is when God speaks something. But the second edge is when you speak something. He said, when you speak God's word, God's word becomes a two-edged sword in your mouth. We need to speak it. In Isaiah 55, God says, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, this is true about God's word, but it needs to be true about your word. You notice what God does when he speaks something? He says, I send my word. He said, when I speak it, I send it. And it accomplishes what I send it to do. It's in Psalms 107 where God said, he said he sent his word and it healed him or healed them. He sent his word. When you speak, In agreement with God's word, words of faith, you are sending the word. And that word, when you believe what God has said, it will accomplish the thing that you send it to do. But I want to ask you if you're talking victory or defeat. Are you talking healing or are you talking sickness? Are you talking provision or are you talking lack? Are you talking life or death? Blessing or cursing? Freedom or or bondage, restoration, or deterioration. You know, you need to keep on speaking. The prophet said, strike the ground, but not just once, not just twice. Keep speaking. Keep speaking victory. Keep speaking that there's going to be forgiveness and not condemnation. There's going to be a breakthrough and not a failure. There's going to be an advance and not a retreat. You need to send your word. As you send your word with faith, it will accomplish the thing that you sent it to do. Now, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He said, and I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus said that the church, which is you and I, The gates of hell will not prevail against us. And here's the picture we have in our mind. We see ourselves cowering behind a wall, behind a fence, and just kind of peeking up and going, oh, I hope the devil doesn't get me. Where's he at? Pray for me that I'll make it until the end. Pray for me 
Pray for my family that we make it. Pray the devil doesn't get us. Right? And we're kind of like we're on the defense. We're hiding. All right? But notice what Jesus said. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What he is saying is this, that the church is attacking hell. And the devil and demons are hiding behind their gates. He said, but those gates are not strong enough to keep the church out because the church will plunder hell to populate heaven. Jesus has a picture of a glorious church, a victorious church, a victorious church, not a defeated church, not a church on the defense. And Jesus is coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's coming back for a victorious church. The Bible says that he always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now, in closing, this is my first closing. Matthew chapter 16 again. Jesus said his disciples. Now he has just said the church is going to be victorious. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, now here's the thought that many of us have had as Christians. Well, I've got to have a cross. You know, in my cross that I'm going to have to bear, you know, it's, 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 it's my marriage, it's my mother-in-law, it's this addiction, it's the sickness, it's poverty. You know, we got all these ideas where like, this is the cross, this is the cross. And we think we've got to bear this. But listen, don't let the devil tell you that something that's attacking your life is the cross that God gave you. Remember, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. And if you think God sent something, you can never resist it. If you think this is the will of God, you'll never resist. If you think it's your cross, you should embrace it. But let me remind you, your cross is to do God's will for your life. It's not something that a person has before they get saved or a non-Christian person has. It's only something you pick up when you follow Jesus. Say, if you've been watching today and you really, you know in your heart, I'm not right with God. I'm away from God. And you want to be right with God. I want to invite you right now to bow your head, to pray this prayer with me from your heart. Repeat this out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins, and I believe he rose again. Today, I surrender my life to him. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that I'm your child, that I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a simple prayer, but if you prayed it from your heart, God heard that prayer and you are right with God. We want you to keep growing spiritually. I've got a book. I want you to download it free of charge it's right there on your screen. If you need a hard copy, we'll get it for you. But we want you to keep growing spiritually. And if this program is helping you, it's blessing you spiritually, please pray for us. Send a financial gift. Help us if we're taking the gospel literally around the globe. Thank you. God bless you. At Walking by Faith, we believe in the power of prayer. 
Call now to share your prayer request so we can begin standing with you in prayer. Thank you for watching Walking by Faith. Walking by Faith is made possible in part by the generous gifts of our viewers. If you would like to contribute to reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through this program, please contact us at Walking by Faith, 5120 Ivan Rest Avenue Southwest, Granville, Michigan, 49418.